so yeah, this week I've been kind of laid up sick most of the week. And, um, thanks to Rob and the team for, uh, plowing through that and making it just as great. If you wouldn't have said you were sick, nobody would have known it was good. And, uh, and so good stuff. Um, but yeah, I've been laid up and just not feeling very well. And like I said earlier, also when I started getting to Friday and then into Saturday, just not really feeling the sermon that I was planning on preaching. And, um, sometimes that happens once in a great while. What I love about God is like, he's constantly messing me up. And, um, and so you know, every two or three years, probably, you know, I'll just, I'll have a sermon that I've intended to preach for quite a while. And I get to that day and I'm just not feeling, it doesn't feel like the one I'm supposed to preach, or maybe God lays a different message on my heart that, you know, it feels like this one is more important or whatever. And, uh, for this week, it felt like the one I, we're in this series now called, um, uh, dumb things, smart Christians say, just kind of looking at maybe false statements, uh, that Christians have allowed to kind of work into the vernacular of their faith. And, um, and so the one I'd picked for this last week, when I started working on it in terms of a sermon, it really started to feel more like a soapbox issue for me versus something that I should be developing a whole sermon around. And so, um, so anyway, as I was praying about, well, if this isn't, you know, what should I do? And, and, uh, I really felt God impressed on me, you know, just open it up, just open it up and see what kind of questions come in and, and, uh, just field questions from people. And there's a lot that came in. So by the way, this week we're going to thanks, and Matt's going to help me out, help me save my voice a little bit. Appreciate him, um, doing that. And, uh, and so this week we're going to, um, post both services to the podcast. So if you'd like to hear the questions that were submitted for first service, you can hear those. Now we won't have time to get to all of these. Uh, and so I'm going to cherry pick the easy ones and just... I'm not going to lie. I was very tempted to write myself a softball. So if you can find <laughs> that one in there, that'd be yeah. great. <laughs> so, so I learned in Sunday school years ago that the answer is always Jesus. So if you don't know what it is, just say Jesus. So we'll kind of look through some of these and, um, man, wow, that's a good one. All right. Oh, man, these are good. That looks like my handwriting. Did you write all these? That's fun. All right. You guys got to live. By the way, you have to go to the podcast and listen to first service because Matt, uh, well, he just, it, I'm not, not going to say what it is. I'll just say you got yourself into a pickle last service. Right. And, right, right. and I'm just going to uh, say it, uh, we're going in the middle of a sermon right now or a sermon series called Dumb Things That Smart Christians Say. And let's just say I was attempting to continue that, that, <laughs> that sermon series, but it was awesome. It was, Super smart. Yeah, it was awesome. So, all right. It was, it was good. And that's exactly my spiritual gift right there. All right. So first question is this. And um, it just, it's a simple question. It just says, who created the Bible? Who created the Bible? It's such a great question. Um, because I think a lot of times we have this idea um, that, you know, some people just kind of met God up on a mountain and he was like, here's the Bible, you know, that sort of thing. And, and, uh, and that's not really how this all, other than a small portion of it, <laughs> that's not, that's not how all this went down. And, um, and so the Bible, if you don't know, the Bible, um, is actually not a book. It's a collection of books. It's the Bible is actually a library and, uh, 66 books in there. And, um, uh, written over a period of about, I want to say 1500 years, somewhere in that, that range, uh, by, uh, many, many different men. And the traditional Christian belief about the Bible is that the Bible is the inspired word of God. In other words, God used these men who wrote the different books of the Bible to 
uh, convey the words that he wanted to convey in revealing himself to us. And so we make statements like um, the Bible is accurate and true in its original writings. Uh, The reason we say in its original writings is because um, contrary to popular belief, the, you know, Jesus didn't speak the King James English. Um, and so, uh, you know, that, that the, the words were originally written in Hebrew and in Greek. And, um, and so what we have are translations of those, of those words. We have very good translations. I can tell you with complete, um, confidence that, um, I have faith in the translations that we have in, in that they are very, very good translations. However, as my Greek professor in, in, in uh, college told me, all translations are at best an approximation. All translations are at best an approximation. And what he meant by that is that there are some words that there is just no direct equivalent for from language to language. And so the Bible translators that have translated into English and then in other languages as well, you know, you kind of, you take a word and if there's no exact equivalent to that, you do the best you can to, to describe that word, to describe that that. Uh, you know, context, you know, I always use the example of the word love in, in, in Greek, there's several words for the word love. There's, a, you know, there's a the word for love that describes the love you have for your family. There's a word for love that describes romantic love. There's a word for love that, you know, that describes kind of the love that God has for us. And there's, there's all these different words for love for us. We just have the word love. So I love my wife and I love a cheeseburger and I love, uh, I love God and I love Star Trek, you know, whatever. So like, it's all, even though uh, like the love I have for my wife and the love I have for a cheeseburger are very different types of love. Like they really are. Trust me. Um, very different types of love. It shouldn't be the same word at all, but in the English language, that's what we use. Right. And so, um, so all translations are at best an approximation. So basically what happened is that at different points, I don't have the exact dates, cropping up in my mind right now. But um, the Hebrew scriptures, the, what we call the Old Testament, was pretty well established by the time of Christ. Um, you know, they, they, they pre- everybody was in pretty wide agreement on those books that they considered to be the inspired word of God. Uh, and the, and the, the criteria for looking at inspiration is um, several different things. Um, one, does, is there, does the words that are presented in this book um, do they convey um, a divine element to them? In other words, does it feel like these are the words of God? Have, have, have these been, words been proven to be a great guide for people throughout the years and to tell us about God? And, 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 and are they consistent with the other scriptures that we have and, and that sort of thing? Um, and when, once you got to the New Testament, the, part of the criteria was that for a New Testament writer, if it was going to be considered scripture, it needed to be someone who had had direct con- uh, written by someone who had had direct contact with Jesus in some way. And so, um, so you have, you know, situations like that. These are people who, who knew Jesus firsthand or in the case of uh, Luke, who wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, uh, he approached those works kind of from a journalistic type of point of view where he didn't have a firsthand relationship with Christ, but he interviewed people who did and compiled those messages for those two books. Um, so anyway, there, there's several criteria they looked at, but basically um, these councils met, uh, you know, after about, I don't know, in the 200s and in the 300s, um, 
one to decide on what would, would be the Old Testament canon and another to decide on what would be the New Testament canon. Now, a lot of times the reason this kind of question comes up is because every once in a while you'll hear a news report, and, and as we approach Easter, all the cable networks are going to be, you're going to see all these shows on who was Jesus and uh, is the Bible really true and, um, you know, whatever. Was the Noah's Ark thing, you know, just a dude in a rowboat, you, you know. And so you, all these kind of documentaries come out and they start questioning the authority of Scripture and questioning what we really know. Uh, and so there's no shortage of documentaries out there and, and critics out there who will go, this is just some people who decided this would be the Word of God. Uh, meanwhile, there are all these other scriptures that they rejected, all these other gospels, you know, so to speak, that they rejected. Uh, I want to assure you that what, what did not happen was, uh, you know, as maybe some of you saw the Da Vinci Code or something like that, where where it was like, oh, there's this other gospel that tells us Jesus had a wife and things like that, and the church had to hide it, and there was all this secret thing going. Nothing like that that was that happened. That's that's a modern invention uh, to to sell books and and uh, make good movies or whatever. Uh, what actually happened is that, yes, there were these other so-called scriptures, other so-called gospels that began to float around a little bit, but 99.9% of all the churches out there recognized them for what they were and immediately rejected them. And there would be one or two guys that were trying to push them through as something. The, 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 the thing about those things is that the scriptures that we currently have, say, let's deal with the New Testament uh, the scriptures that we currently have that are New Testament scriptures, they date back to that first century. Uh, there's providence for those scriptures um, that, that lets us know that these are first century doc- documents. Those other ones, your Gospel of Judas, your Gospel of Thomas, your Gospel of you know, Mary Magdalene or whatever that are kind of floating around as, as controversial things, um, they, you can't date those back any further than 5, 6, 700 A.D., um, and there, there's no evidence that they're any earlier than that, that they're more modern inventions rather than something that was written by people who actually walked with Christ. Um, and so, so that's it. So yeah, there were councils of, of, of guys who got together of, of you know, uh, preachers, pastors, priests, whatever they got together and said, we believe that, you know, we're going to decide just to, and it was, it was not again to hide anything. It was, it was for the sake of let's once and for all, declare what is the canon of scripture and just put all the controversy to bed. And uh, even though the controversy was actually very small, it was, like I said, just one or two people trying to push things through. Um, and so they did, they, they compiled the list that all the churches agreed on. These, these had the clear markings of scripture and, um, and, and that's how it, so that's how we got the Bible. And, and so that's how we got the Bible in its original languages. Translation started to happen. The printing press came about and that started to happen. And, and so that, that's a really good, um, you know, bird's eye view of how we got scripture. But. I just wanted to touch on just something. <laughs> um, just a, I was having a conversation with someone the other day about this, actually. And uh, just a common, a common thing amongst, uh, especially right now, you know, um, just as you're talking about different gospels will float around. And there's <laughs> non-canonized books that are flown around, uh, floated around. And um, I, a common theme that I, that I see among Christians is that they're good with Jesus Christ. They're good with like the Bible stories, but they're not so sure that the translations to, you know, what, what this Bible, right? The question is, you know, who created the Bible? And the question is who created this Bible? You know, the, I have the 1984 NIV, just arbitrarily. That's the one that I have and I love it. And so a common thing that I see among a lot of people 
is they're not so sure about the translation. And if, if you're in the room and, and that's your position, that's, that's not a bad position to be in because you are, you're wrestling with it. But I want to encourage you and, and maybe kind of steer you in a different direction because I think that it takes more faith simply to say, it takes the most faith to say that Jesus Christ died and rose again on the third day. I think anything else is easy sauce in comparison. Because I, I see some Christians that are talking about, well, I, I'm a Christian, I, I profess the name of Jesus at the song that we sang, you know, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Christ the Son, you know, the resurrection and all that stuff, but I'm not so good about Noah. I don't know how Noah and the ark, and I don't know about Jonah and the fish. And, and my position is, if you believe that, even if it wasn't God, if you believe a man could self-resurrect after being cold, dead after three days, <coughs> I'm okay with a boat. I'm okay with the fish. That stuff is easy. So, so if, if you can believe, first of all, that the original authors of the Bible, which, by the way, as Jeff was talking about, was not, for the, the vast majority of it, was not a direct recitation, um, such as, for example, uh, in Islam, they believe that the Quran is a direct recitation of uh, the word of Allah. We believe uh, that, that, it, that for the vast majority of it, it actually was the divinely inspired word of God. And there was actually quite a bit, especially uh, in the beginning of the Old Testament, of oral history being passed down. So if you're okay with that from the very beginning, if you believe that God used man to preserve the oral history from the very beginning, I think that God can use men to translate. And yeah. so that, that's my thinking on that. This is a big topic that we could go on all day long about. And, and I'll, I'll roll out a sermon about this in a few months. But, um, but yeah, let's, let's, let's move. I'll follow up to that question I thought was related. Somebody said, it, um, in reading the Bible, where or what book would you rec- recommend to start? So if you're new in the faith and you're looking you know, to, to start um, you know, diving into the Bible and reading it, where should you start? I always tell people... Um, a good place to start because our, our faith is centered on Jesus Christ. Okay. Our faith is centered on Jesus Christ. And so I feel, feel like it's really helpful to kind of know a good overview of who he is and what the whole, his whole purpose here on earth w- 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 was. Uh, and so I always tell people to start with the book of John. Uh, the book of John gospel of John is a, is a, I mean, all four gospels are great. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they call synoptic gospels because they say a lot, the same, same thing tell a lot of the same stories. The gospel of John is very different, tells different stories, kind of a different point of view. Um, and a lot of words of Christ in there, that sort of thing. Um, and so uh, gospel of John is a good starting place to give you a good introduction to who Jesus is. Then I tell people, go back to Genesis, start at the beginning, go back to Genesis and work through say Genesis and uh, the first half of Exodus, because so much of that is foundational to everything else in the Bible. Like the New Testament is constantly referring back to stories in Genesis, back to concepts of creation and who we are as man and sin and things like that, that all, all those things kind of come in to the scene and references to uh, certain patriarchs that, you know, date all the way back to Genesis. So go back to get the foundations. And then from there, I think you could, you know, it's up to you. You can work through it. There are chronological reading plans out there. There are just kind of through the Bible in a year reading plans. I like to do larger chunks of scripture because I think it helps me piece it all together more in my head. And so once in a while, you know, every year or two, I'll go through a kind of 90-day plan through the whole Bible. It, it sounds intimidating. It's not really that bad. It's about 44 to 45 minutes a day of reading. Um, but anyway, so just do that. If you want to bounce around, if get involved in a study group, whatever. But I think 
Again, pick one of the Gospels, go back and read the foundational books of Genesis, and from there you can just dive in and, and you know, go wherever, wherever you want to go. But good, good question. Yeah, I would throw it too. Um, I was going to say John as well. And one of the <laughs> things that we did early on in Impact uh, was a study in Proverbs. And, and the group that was in Impact uh, was not necessarily a group of seekers necessarily, you know, people who are adamantly looking to know more about God. And Proverbs was great because it, it offers just a lot of wisdom and it allows us to say, well, if the Bible says this, maybe I can try this. And, and from the world point of view, if this works, then maybe this is true. And guess what? It's going to work. Uh, and, and I love James as well. Um, after you get a couple of books in, it's, it's short, it's sweet, and there's a lot, of, a lot of goodness in there. All right. Good. Good. So, um, yeah, and I think the key when it comes to the Bible is, you know, when you're new to the faith, you just need to get familiar with it. There will be a, for, for some of you, there will be a bit of lag time of that moment you come to faith in Jesus and that moment you decide to completely submit yourself to the wisdom of his word. Uh, for, for some of you, not everybody, some of you will just jump there immediately. But some of you, may it may be months or years before you kind of submit yourself to the authority of God's word and go, no, you know what, I'm going to trust that God knows more about me than I know about myself, that God has got this world figured, figured out in ways that I don't, so I'm going to submit to his word. And um, anyway, there's a lot... There's a whole, a whole lot more there I could talk about, but um, let's move on. All right. Here's an interesting question. Why do I always feel better here at church, and why do I always shed tears here? It's an interesting question. Um, I think the reason you feel better at church is because um, I feel better when I get around God's people. I feel better. There's something that we're like this faith is not meant to be lived in isolation. And there's something about gathering together around a common, you know, Lord and a common purpose and um, with people that I know that care about me, that love me, that love my family, that want to see me grow in my faith. Um, it's encouraging. It builds me up. It helps me keep going throughout the week. And uh, I mean, it's good, you know, what the word says, how good and pleasant it is, uh, you know, when we dwell together in unity, when we come together in the Lord's house and things like that. So, there's something about being here, um, and and I believe, uh, you know, I don't know, if, I don't know if there's any scriptural background for this statement, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Um, I believe that the more followers of Christ that get together, the the spirit is greater the larger the crowd gets. There's something about just when you get together with God's people the spirit can just begin to like move freely. I don't know how else to describe it other than that, but it is, it's a powerful experience. Now I can have a powerful experience on my own too. God blesses me with those as well, but I'm going to tell you that it's sweet when I'm with you all. It's just, there's something sweeter about it. And in terms of the tears, I think, you know, God does this work in our hearts of, of softening our hearts to other people and their stories, he softens our heart to his word and to the way, to the implications of that word on the lives that we're living. Um, and, um, you know, he creates burdens about issues that were once we had nothing like that. And so, I mean, that's, I think that's just kind of the work of the Holy Spirit. Not that there has to be tears to be evidence of the Holy Spirit. That's not what I'm saying. But I just think, you know, when, when you are, when the Spirit moves you, uh, burdens you about an issue, about a scripture, about a person. Um, 
you know, there's emotion that goes with that. Yeah, and in the song that we sang, uh, the third song that we sang, where the Spirit of the Lord is, <laughs> there is freedom. And uh, just as you're talking about, you know, us being there and, and the importance of fellowship, I was looking for, um, I wrote something down in my Bible that I think actually you said a couple of weeks ago about if God has is, is put his fingerprint on us, if he's given us the image of God, then we contain the qualities of God, uh, obviously not perfectly because we are uh, imperfect, but through the Holy Spirit, uh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And, and something that I love so much about the way that we model um, with our youth group um, is, is in the time of what we call musical worship, uh, there, there's a freedom for, for students to, to grab someone and go pray in the back or, or just, you know, talk through because we feel like that's a part of worship, designating time for God, and we believe that there's freedom there for that. And obviously in our country, freedom is so important. People fought and died for freedom. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's not only part of, of um, the Christian faith, but it's, it's a part of just humanity, that desire for freedom. And I think that, oh, it's just talking about the tears. I, the Bible talks about both tears of joy and, and, and tears of grief. And um, in Ecclesiastes, if you've ever read through, talking about books to read, if, if you ever read through Ecclesiastes, uh, it might be an, an intimidating book at first. Uh, it's a bummer. It's a big bummer. Um, it's, a, it's a bummer sooner than later, but it's uh, just for you, sorry. That yeah. Weak. yeah, yeah, uh, whatever. Hey, his phone went off in first service, so <laughs> there's that. Um, I, I, I think that it's, it's one of those books that kind of talks about um, that. Well, he, I'll just keep it short um, because as we were talking about, my spiritual gift is going on and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's this aspect of, of coming to, to God um, in, in, in aspects of sorrow, in aspects of, of understanding the gifts that God has given us on this earth. But there's a, a lot of sorrow in that. Uh, but the beautiful thing about um, Jesus Christ, and as we talked about last service uh, to a question, is that Jesus Christ has compassion. God has compassion. Um, and so as we talk about coming together here, the body of Christ, whether it's for 90 minutes on a Sunday morning or in the basement somewhere or out in the courtyard or wherever we are, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God has compassion on his children, and I think that that just boosts us. Yeah. Good. Patriots or Falcons, a full unbiased analysis, please. All right. Yeah. That's Hawking. Can, can we just, like, does anybody care? Is that, what's. But once again, does anybody care? I, no. I don't. I, I'll, full disclosure, <laughs> I did not watch a single football game this season. All right. But that's not anything anti football. It's just. All right. That's, no, that's good. That. Good. Go. That's my full analysis. Sorry. Go local team. Okay. All right. Uh, here, here's a couple of questions about the same thing. Uh, one says, I grew up in, a, in church, was water baptized at 12, but fell out of church and away from God when I moved away to college. I'm getting back in a church and my faith. Can I be water baptized again? If so, what does that look like? Uh, we had a, a question first service about, do you have to bapti- be baptized by immersion or does it matter? Um, you know, cause somebody was baptized by a different method, sprinkling or something when they were younger. Um, and so the, the, the question, a couple of questions, and, and well, a follow-up here on another sheet says, is, is baptism a requirement of salvation? So let's talk about baptism a little bit. Uh, we talked last service that the word, the Greek word that we get the word baptism from is the Greek word baptizo, baptizo, and uh, baptizo literally means to immerse in water. And so we follow that pattern of immersing in water. Um, if other people want to do it differently, I don't have any major beef with that. We just, you know, we feel like that's the way Jesus did it himself when he was baptized. He got in the river. 
I don't think you get in the river just to be sprinkled. I think once you're in there, you're getting wet, right? And so, um, but anyway, but that's not a big, like if you were baptized by a different method other than immersion um, years ago, if that baptism is good enough for you, like if you feel like that was a, a strong proclamation of your faith, then we're fine with that too. We're not going to, you know, make you get rebaptized or whatever. Now, this question uh, is about somebody who fell away from God, is coming back to God, and they're asking, can I be water baptized again? And the answer to that is yes. Yes, if your faith, it, it, you're finding it all over again, it's new to you, and you need to make a proclamation of that faith, uh, then, then absolutely you can be water baptized again. Who here has ever been baptized more than once? Raise your hand. So there you go. You're, you're, don't, you don't have to feel alone. Yeah, several of you have, have done that. Um, and so that's fine. Now, do the, the other question, do you have to be um, baptized? Is baptism a requirement of salvation? So I, I always say that this way. Um, I just think that's the wrong question. I, like, I want to know, like, why, why are you asking that question? Because if it's commanded... And it's actually the first command given to a new believer is to, is to be baptized. If you're having trouble with obedience of that command, it's not getting any easier from there. It's not getting any easier from there. Um, and so I would just say um, it's important to do because, because I mean, if it was good enough for Jesus, if Jesus himself, the perfect, only perfect person who ever lived, modeled it for us, and he himself was baptized, then, um, then I say, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm always going to side with Jesus, right? And so um, I would just say, is a requirement for salvation? <sighs> yeah, you know, this, I, it's just a straw man argument. I, I have trouble answering that question. I want to say, there's a part of me that just wants to say yes, um, because, it's, because it's a command. Now, that, not that there's any saving power in that water. The baptism is just you making a proclamation of the decision that you have made to follow Christ. But if you're having trouble with that decision, then if you're having trouble with the obedience of a baptism, then I got to say, I question your decision of, are, are you really ready to follow Christ? Or is this just something you're warming up to type of thing? That may not be theologically accurate. That's just kind of where I, I feel like I land on that. But um, um, technically, I mean, if you want to get technical, no, baptism is not a requirement for salvation. Faith in Jesus Christ is the only requirement for salvation. Uh, but step one after faith in Jesus Christ is be baptized. And if you're having trouble with step one, it, it, it's going to be a hard row for you. Yeah, and I think the best example of that position would be the thief on the cross, uh, right? <laughs> so here's, here's this man who's lived uh, an unholy life, uh, and he's being crucified uh, alongside Jesus for, for a sin that he committed. And um, this other guy who's also being crucified is, is heckling Jesus and, and is you know, giving him grief. And this thief backs up Jesus. Um, and, and you can go to this example for several things. Do you have to produce fruit in order to be saved? Uh, and, and, and in this scenario, you see this guy not have the opportunity to get baptized unless you consider, you know, if you had the vinegar and gall baptism, you know, that could be a sprinkling of vinegar and gall on a sponge. Uh, but no, he, he doesn't get baptized. Uh, the question, do you have to produce fruit to be baptized? I would argue that, that him declaring in front of everybody that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, is fruit. I would say that that would be qualified as evangelism, that 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 right there is also a declaration of faith, which is part of what baptism is. So no, the thief on the cross did not have an immersion baptism, nor did he have a sprinkling baptism, (laughs) unless vinegar counts on a sponge, but I doubt that it does. But he did, 
Jesus said, I will see you in paradise. Yeah, the, the, thing is, the other thing is we're not going to be legalistic about it either. No. Like it's not a legalism thing with us where, yeah, I mean, we, it's a, baptism is a big deal. It should be a big deal. Scripture makes a big deal out of it. Um, however, we're not going to be legalistic. You know, a few weeks ago we baptized some, somebody who uh, had some serious back problems. They were worried about the immersion, causing problems with their back, and so we poured water over her. Uh, I've done similar things with people, you know, kids that had developmental disabilities that had maybe a terrifying fear of water, you know, whatever. We're not going to be legal. You know, like we're not going to hold you down in the water against your will. That's not what this is about. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's just, you know, just do your best to be obedient in that. All right? If you want to hear more about baptism, we talked about it at first service. If you want to learn how to turn a cucumber into a pickle, we also talked yeah, about yeah. that. So it all We're not going to go there. All right. Um, uh, here's a good one. Um, how do you show respect for someone who is always sarcastic and disrespectful towards you? I think this is from my wife. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just I thought this was directed at me. <laughs> she's got, she's got a, a good track record of dealing with this. Though. Um, how do you show respect for someone who's always sarcastic and disrespectful to, to you? So um, I, I, the first thing I think you have to do is, is you show love for, to that person. Um, you know, it's, there are people in this life that are jerks and, um, you, you might be one of them. I don't know. You might, you might be one of them. Um, but we, we, just because someone's a jerk doesn't mean we stop showing them love. We, we show love to everybody to the best of our ability. Now, uh, however, that doesn't mean that we have to be doormats. It doesn't like, like even when Jesus says, you know, someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek to him, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I, I still don't think that's a command for us to be doormats. I think it's just a command for us to show love and peace. But it, there's nothing wrong with standing up to someone in love who is mistreating you. I, I don't think there's anything wrong ab- about that at all. In fact, I think that's actually a biblical quality to, to approach someone who needs a little truth with some truth. Um, and so... Yeah, I, I would say, you know, if there's a person in your life that you're having trouble uh, loving, the best way to figure out how to love that person is to begin to pray for them. It's hard to, it's hard to hate someone you're praying for. And then to serve them, to serve them. Like, be the bigger man, be the bigger woman, and look for ways to serve that person and, and uh, see if their heart cannot be changed uh, just by the love of Christ. Um, now, those are easy words for me to say, and it's a whole different issue to actually live them out. Um, but I, I would say that's the truth. Yeah, and, and there's scripture also that talks about um, if someone sins against you, you know, what do you do back to them? Do you, do you sin against them? Do you, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth? Uh, the scripture tells us, this is, this is an awesome visual, that when we love someone back, that, that when we serve someone back that, that hates us, and, 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 and they just sin against us and, and we love them back, that it's like burning hot embers being poured all over their head. And, and, and this is something that I think is, is a little bit of an exaggeration of sarcasm, you know, sarcasm. But uh, I, being someone who is constantly flirting with that threshold of what I guess would be like sinful sarcasm and just fine sarcasm, I'm constantly that kind of person. I, I'll just say that um, I do appreciate it when people confront me that if, if I'm being openly rude or if I'm being yeah. um, out of place. 
uh, not only as a leader, but just, just as a Christian in general. We, we all are an example. So I do appreciate it when I receive rebuke, um, but I don't appreciate it when it comes out of spite. And that's something that applies to all areas. I think yeah. that when we do openly rebuke, as the scripture does say from Christian to Christian, that it's out of love and it's not out of spite. Right. No, that's, 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 that's good. That's really good. Um, I, I think on the flip side of that coin, as Matt was just saying, um, like I've, I've, my spiritual gift is sarcasm. <laughs> and so um, I, I've had to learn over the years that I just thought everybody was that way. Like I learned this from Jamie that um, we, like in my house, in, you know, the, the house I grew up in, we were, you know, I had two brothers, mom and dad there, and we were just rude and sarcastic and cutting each other down all the time, all the time. I mean, we loved each other to death, but that was just our language of love to each other, just constantly like bagging on each other like that. And I, and so I saw that from my family and then every family I watched on TV did that too. And so I thought all families were that way. And then the first time I went home with Jamie, um, when we were uh, in college and started dating, I went home and met her parents and stuff. And I'm just teasing with her and stuff like that. And her parents thought I were, was awful. I mean, they just thought I learned, that was the first time I learned, oh, all families don't do this. Okay. And so, and over the years, I've had to learn to dial that back because not everyone receives that the same way. And so if you're that person like me, that you've got the gift of sarcasm, um, just know that not everyone, for some people, it's a foreign language and not everybody gets it. Not everybody gets it. And so you might need to, out of love, dial that back, um, you know, in great and small ways from time to time. So, all right. I'm not, I'm not sure if I want to tackle this one. Um, okay. You ready? Oh, no. Well, here we go. <laughs> all right. Were Joseph Smith and Muhammad false prophets led by Satan? Were Joseph Smith and Muhammad false prophets led by Satan. That's actually a really good Christian, and I have a feeling uh, I know who wrote it, and thank you very much. Um, <laughs> but it's, this is actually really applicable because... Uh, Was it I, Satan? Um, <laughs> I, um, I, I'm currently um, taking a, a study um, in Islam right now, um, and it's, it's pretty <coughs> fascinating. I'm looking at parallels between um, the Muslim faith and the Mormon faith. There, there are quite a few... Um, I mean, almost spot on. You just change the word, you change the name, you change the date, you change the location. Uh, much how both religions started are very much in the same light. Um, just, just for example, obviously, both of them started um, post, you know, we're in the A.D. era um, after Jesus Christ uh, ascended. Uh, both of them had one major prophet, which, which directly translated the word, you know, what we would call you know, direct, you know, recitation of the word of God. Um, both gave, uh, received a direct oracle from a named angel. Uh, both created uh, a nation state, you know, in the name uh, of that religion, and and just the list goes on and on and on. Uh, and and so, I am going to take a kind of soft position and say that I don't I don't know if I want to make the claim that it was the words of Satan himself speaking directly to two men. Although I do want to take the claim and say that that false religions are not of God and they are from the enemy. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when it comes down to uh, all the other, all, all, all false gods, um, you know, as, as we talk about, you know, different religions, uh, we understand that, that God has taken the, the claim 
the fame of all righteousness, of all holiness. And from the very beginning and on through to the end of, of Revelation, um, we see God being the one and true holy God and all other as false gods in the camp of the enemy, in the camp of Satan. And so um, to answer the question literally, I, I wouldn't venture to say necessarily that it was the voice of Satan that inspired, for example, the Quran or, or, or the Book of Mormon. I don't know if I want to make that claim. However, I, I, I at least, um, I don't know if I'm speaking necessarily for, for Living Hope Church, but I would venture to say that, that they but both both inspired scriptures, which, which are uh, for um, Islam and for the Book of Mormon, are false. And I also want to state the claim that some of them do have some historical accuracy. There is some historical accuracy in some of them. However, there is also quite a vast amount of historical inaccuracy, whereas we look at the Bible and we see the accuracy of, of, of the history. Um, that's a completely different argument. I would say yes and no. Is that... So I would say I would say yes and yes, and this is where I am on that. I would say, and I'm not disagreeing with you. I understand your point of view. I I, I I'm going to treat this as two questions: Were Joseph Smith and Muhammad false prophets? Yes, yeah. absolutely. There, anybody who is not uh, proclaiming Jesus Christ, as we find in Scripture, um, it, it, that's a false prophet. And so the answer to that is yes. Were they led by Satan? I would even say yes to that because I think we're all led by Satan from time to time. I, I think I I think I've been used by Satan in the lives of a lot of people I've come to know. I was going to say Jesus rebukes Peter and says, "Get behind me, Satan." Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm just intense. I'm just saying there are times that Satan, and we're talking about Satan. We're talking about our spiritual enemy. There's time that the enemy can use you, unbeknownst to you to be a stumbling block to somebody else. And, and so that's why I think it's, it's good to just live in that awareness and go, you know, like for instance, if you find somebody offended by something you said, something you did, you, maybe something you didn't even know you said or did. And, um, I, I, and somebody expresses that to you. I think it's okay for you to go, you know, to be repentant of that, to be apologetic for that and to go, man, that was not, that was not my intention at all. And if I caused you to stumble, if, if my actions caused you in any way to, you know, move towards a state of bitterness or anything else. Gosh, that was, I mean, that was, that was just the enemy using me as some tool. I, I didn't even know. Right. And I think it's okay. And so were they being used by saying, I think ultimately anybody who is uh, anti God, anti Jesus Christ um, in some ways are, are tools of Satan. Does that mean that we treat them like demons? No. No, we can, we can love them. We can have conversations with them. We can, we can even agree on certain things together um, and show them the love of Christ. And so I don't know. I don't know if that makes any more sense, but yeah. So, okay. Um, yeah, I don't know which one to do. What time is it? Okay, well, let's do two more. We're not going to be able to get to all these. I'm sorry. Um, okay, this one first. Is it wrong to be a part of a homosexual wedding? How do I love and support them without supporting their decision? All right. So this is a big question that I resent being asked. And <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. Um, now it's, it's a really, it's a good question. It's a good question. And it, a lot of that depends. You know, some of you are new to church and, and you may maybe been wondering where we come down on this issue. Um, you know, how, how we stand on certain things like this. 
Um, I'll tell you, we stand with scripture. We stand with scripture. We don't stand on a position of hate. We don't stand on a position of, Ooh, that's icky. We just simply stand with scripture and the way that the leadership of the church reads scripture. Uh, we do believe that homosexuality is a sin. Now, um, there's only a very small hand, handful of verses in the Bible that even speak of homosexuality. Very small handful, just a few. And so the Bible does not necessarily weight that sin uh, heavier than a lot of other sins. And I think it has been a, a massive cultural mistake for Christians to weight that as such a huge sin. Because it's not. It's a sin. It's a sin. There's a lot of things that I have hangups in my life that are just as big of, of sins, if not worse than that. And you could say the same thing too. So we don't approach that from a position of hate. We just, we just simply side with what scripture says. I don't have time to, that if you look up some podcasts, there's actually a, a couple of good podcasts from about, uh, I don't remember, May or so of last year where we dealt with uh, this topic pretty extensively. You can look those up. Um, so I'm going to start from there. You may disagree with that statement. You may think you may have a different idea of whether or not that's sin or not, but I'm going to start, start with my answer to that question from right there, that we take the position that scripture holds this to be a sin. Okay. Not the most horrible sin in the world, but a sin. So is it wrong to be a part of a homosexual wedding? And so I think this comes from a standpoint of, um, if I go to a wedding of somebody that I care about that's homosexual, is that me compromising my faith? Is that me showing support for a decision I think to be sinful? Um, and so let, let, let's start here. If we're talking about someone who is outside of the faith, um, I don't think it's up to us to exact our values on someone who is outside of the faith. In fact, I think the scripture actually teaches against that. Um, if we're talking about someone who is a, a brother or sister in Christ, um, then it's our right and responsibility, uh, heavy responsibility, to actually have a conversation with them about what the truth is and the life that God is leading them to and that sort of thing. And so that, be, that being said, um, I've, ha- I've been asked this question before by a person who was, like, who was dealing with a daughter a daughter who was going to get married to another woman and should they go to their daughter's wedding? Um, I'm going to tell you what I told them and you can feel free to completely disagree. Uh, My guidance to them was um, regardless of whether you agree with that decision, your daughter needs to know that you love her. And I think if if you feel like the Holy Spirit is giving you the clearance to do this. I think it's okay for you to attend that wedding. Um, just as a show of support for somebody that you genuinely love and care about and who is a very important person in your life. Um, I think it's not enough for you though, just to attend that wedding. I think it's also, you need to have a conversation with them about your concerns and, and then also express the love that you have for them. Um, now that said, um, homosexuals uh, of all types and shapes and colors are welcome here at Living Hope Church. 
absolutely welcome here. I believe there'll be homosexuals in eternity with us. I fully believe that in the same way that there will be people who struggled with any number of other things in their life. And I don't think it's fair for us to make sweeping generalizations about people. I, I, I cannot imagine the inner turmoil someone has to feel to feel so uncomfortable in their own skin and so um, like they don't belong. And so I'm not going to make these easy black and white answers. Instead, I'm just going to try to show them love. I'm just going to try to show them love. And if they ask for the truth, I'm going to speak the truth to them. Um, and so it's, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a type rope. We need, we need to be people who will always be faithful to Scripture, and we can do that. Um, but if you begin to use Scripture as a hammer on someone, uh, then you lose the opportunity to share Christ with them. And so I say you pile on as much love as humanly possible, and you constantly point them towards God and towards His Word, and rather than feel like the weight is on you to see that person changed, trust the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. And so that's where I would be. If you want, go ahead and ask. Yeah, and I was just going to um, just kind of piggyback on what you were talking about um, <coughs> with this aspect of whether attending a wedding is support or not. And just like the scenario that you were talking about um, with a father um, having a daughter who's getting married to another woman. Um, I, I think just as you're talking about um, with me about when your phone is and is not on silent uh, and, and when you will and will not take a phone call in the middle of a meeting, I think is something that really stands out to me is, is you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to put words in yeah. your mouth, but uh, for you, you'll, you'll take a call from, from one of your kids because you mm-hmm. want them to know that they have access to the father. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think in the same way, I think just as God's grace covers you know, sins past, present, and future for those who are in Christ and to become in Christ, I think in the same way that a father loving their daughter, regardless of, of their position on, on their orientation or, um, or any of that, I think shows and models the fact that, you know, what we talked about last week, is anything going to separate us from the love of God? Well, well, this one sin right here will. And that's just, that doesn't, right. that just doesn't add up. Um, and, and I think it is just like what you're talking about. It's, it may be conveyed as full support unless there is a conversation there. And so, so let's take a scenario, um, where, where your friend, you have a friend that's, that's getting married, um, and, and you've been invited. And this question is asking, is it a sin to take part in that? And, 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 and I think to just, again, with this theme of sweeping generalizations, I, I, I think to just completely say all, all attending of a wedding in that scenario would be support, I think assumes that you're not having a conversation or your friend doesn't understand your position. I don't think that attending a wedding where it's, it's a guy and a guy and a girl and a girl is 100% always support in the same light that I do have friends who attend parties where there's alcohol and beer pong and people getting blacked out and stuff, but they'll never drink. Is it a sin to attend a party where there's alcohol being drinking and people are making stupid decisions. I don't think it is. I think it's a sin to participate in, in, in the mentality of getting drunk. And, and the Bible talks about how drunkenness is a sin. 
But Jesus was around prostitutes. Jesus was around people getting drunk. Jesus even had a reputation of being a drunkard, you know. And, and that's, that's something that's kind of hard for us to, to even imagine. But that's the kind of God that we serve is that our God is, is so desiring for all to come to him that he is there with everyone, mm. though he is not participating in the sin. So the argument is that attending a homosexual wedding is glorifying the sin and it's taking part in the celebration of that sin. But I would venture to say that that's not 100% the case just by showing up. But again, right. just you're talking about the importance of either having that conversation or your position being you know, known. I, I personally think that, that being devout to not show up will be perceived as unloving someone, which I think may be a greater... Oh, I want to be really careful about how I say that. Mm. The Bible is very clear on the importance of love and when we don't love someone. So I think that that taking the position that always and forever, never attending, may may be a scenario that creates more I think it's I think it's situational. I think that you have to... I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to attend every marriage that you're invited to. But I think you weigh that relationship and go, is this a relationship that I want to make sure, like for instance, in the case of a child, a grandchild, whatever, I want to make sure I don't lose influence in this person's life. And, and so you just weigh it prayerfully. I don't, there's not an easy answer to it. Just prayerful. You know, follow the lead of the Holy Spirit in that. And, and, and I think just one more thing is we're – Kind of running out of time yeah. here, but but take part could also be talking about leading, uh, officiating, a, you right. know, a wedding. I think that's a different thing entirely. Uh, for a leader of a church to officiate um, a homosexual wedding, I think is a completely different uh, scenario with a completely different set of um, biblical approaches. Yeah. Um, that that's not even in that other scenario. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a completely different scenario. I agree. I agree. All right. One last question. Uh, is this, what does it mean when you have prayed for something for years and it does not happen? Do you stop praying or is it just a no and you stop hoping for it? All right. So I think, again, this is kind of situational too. It depends on what it is that you're praying for. I mean, if you're praying that your lottery numbers numbers will finally hit, um, then, you know, you might just need to devote something, you know, more important in your prayers. But um, let me read this scripture from Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, Paul's talking and he says, um, let's see, he says, uh, to keep me from being con- becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. He's talking about that he was experiencing. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming con- conceited. And three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ uh, may rest uh, upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I love the idea of, you know, I took this to God, this, this issue, and we don't, nobody knows what it is. Lots of speculation about what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Um, but he says, basically, I took it to God three times. Uh, didn't get the answer I want. And so I just gave it up to him. And I learned to become content with my weaknesses, content with insults that were being thrown my way, content with hardships and persecutions and calamities that might strike my life. I learned to become content in all that rather than constantly, woe is me, God, take this thing from me, take this thing from me. And so I think a lot, a lot of it depends. 
I would say if it's an issue that you're praying for that you know is within the will of God, then keep praying. For instance, the salvation of somebody you love. Like if you've been praying for somebody you love to come to faith in God, well, guess who wants them to come to faith in him even more than you? God. So keep lifting that up to him. Keep, keep lifting those prayers up to God. If it's something where God has placed you on mission to do something and, and, uh, and you're praying for uh, the success of that mission, as you see, keep, keep praying for those things. That, that's completely fine. There are some things in our life that, like I, you know, I mentioned this earlier in the first service, some, some things are just part of life. Some things are just your lot in life. Do you think that there are Christians in other parts, parts of the world that, that pray constantly that their government would be more sympathetic to their faith? And maybe they'll see that happen and maybe they'll never see that happen. That's just where they are, have been placed in the world and God is going to glorify himself through that situation. And so, again, I think, I think it's situational. You, you, those things that you know are the will of God, pray all day long about them. Those things that are more about your ease, your comfort, your kind of personal happiness, your desires or whatever. It's fine to lift those prayers up to God too. But, you know, at some point, you just kind of got to turn those things over to God and just say, your will be done. You know, uh, yeah, you know I'd like this, whatever, but that's in your control. That's not in my control. And so um, to learn, I think content is the key word of that whole passage. Learn to be content. Yeah, and I think I have a great example in my life, uh, basically the last two years of my life. Um, I was diagnosed with Lyme disease about two years ago, and I was uh, sick to the point where um, basically coming to church on Sunday morning was about all I could do all week long. Um, and, and I was coming in on a cane and, you know, just just barely making it, spending, you know, TMI, but spending half the service in the restroom. I mean, it was just, I was just miserable and just so sick. Um, and prior to that happening, I actually had a miracle happen in my body that I had been prayed for, and there was something that was miraculously lifted in my body, full-on healing miracle, but God did not lift the line. And don't think that for a single day when I was going through my worst, I wasn't praying for healing from God. Mm. And for a solid year and a half, I didn't receive any, you know, miraculous, you know, veil on, veil off kind of miracle in my life. Um, and, and today I'm at a place now where I'm fully functional, but I'm not 100%. Can't really go out and exercise. Can't really go out and travel. Um, you know, going to school takes a lot out of me. I got I to gotta make sure I get my eight hours or else, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be really hurting. Um, but the thing that I've gotten, though, is that I've gotten a bit of what Paul has gotten. Uh, in, in that my grace is sufficient for you, that God's given me some clarity in the reason why he has allowed this to happen in my mm-hmm. life. The mm-hmm. amount of people that God has allowed to come into my life that I would have never, ever met, and I would not have had any empathy for what they were going through. God opened up an entire new realm of ministry in my life, and so I see the purpose. So the question would be, do I continue to pray for healing? Yes, I do. I do continue to pray for healing uh, and I also do take care of myself, I, yeah. you know, I, I have to take care of myself, um, and, and set limits and eat healthy and do all that stuff. But yes, I still do pray. So, yeah. And I'll close with this. There's a, a church leadership guy named Andy Stanley, he's a pastor in Georgia. And, uh, he says this there in life, there are sometimes problems to be solved. And then sometimes there are tensions to be managed. And, and I think you can apply this, that he's, he's talking about general leadership, but I think we can apply this to our lives too. There are sometimes that there are problems that you need God to solve. And then maybe though there are certain situations in your life that it's just your life and you need to pray that God would give you the grace and the peace and the wisdom to manage that tension that may always be present in your life. 
and and so I think that you, know, you can pray for that too. So good. All right. Thank you for being patient with us. I know we went long today. Um, and hopefully some of this was helpful to you. And uh, let's close in prayer. Father God, we love you, and we just thank you so much for your word to us. We thank you that your uh, word gives us answers to life's problems. And, uh, and God, where we struggle to find the answers, uh, your Holy Spirit leads us and he guides us. And so we, we just thank you for the way that you do that in our life. And uh, God, I pray that uh, across this room, if there are those that are far from you, uh, that are questioning whether they want to become your follower or not, uh, that hopefully something was said here today that would help draw them in uh, closer to you. And so we'll trust your Holy Spirit to work all of this out in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Have a great week. All right. Hey, football Sunday next week. Bring a friend. All right.